If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. And on today's episode of Murder Monday, we dive into the murder of the homecoming queen, Heather Rich. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. Check them out today at pondex.com and use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. We'd also like to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. If you want a free 30-day subscription and a free audiobook of your choice, head on over to audibletrial.com slash Larry21. And as always, you can be a part of the show by sending us a voicemail at 682-305-0483. Send us a voicemail. Let us know your thoughts on the recent cases we've covered. Is there something we got wrong? Something we got missed? Let us know and you can be featured on the next episode. So now let's dive right into the murder of homecoming queen Heather Rich. So a little bit, bit a little bit about Heather Rich. The only daughter and third of four child, Heather Rich, was born on January 19th, 1980 to Gail and Dwayne Rich in Oklahoma. She was a self-assured high school cheerleader with sparkling blue eyes who made people happy. All three of her brothers played football, so they tried to keep her away from boys. She was a very intelligent young lady who made the honor roll list. She was chosen as the class favorite her sophomore year, and she was chosen as the homecoming queen a few days before she went missing. Despite having a cheerful personality, One of Heather's friends described her as a very troubled girl. She was suspended from school on September 27th before being intoxicated while leading the teams in cheers during a football game. At home in school, she became withdrawn and moody. 
Her father, Dwayne, was an electrician who had to relearn how to walk after something he was working on exploded and burned 65% of his body. Heather had to take care of her father's needs at home, including feeding him and tending to his wounds. Her mother started working two jobs as a result. Heather became estranged from her parents. Heather started cutting her legs with a razor as a way of hurting herself. Although Heather's parents thought Oklahoma, a fairly rural community, was the ideal place for them, Heather didn't particularly like it. It had no parks, no movie theaters, no cafes, no fast food restaurants. The closest one was in Comanche, Texas, 17 miles away. Sometimes she would sneak out of her bedroom window at night to have a cigarette the only sort of amusement she and her friends could find in the community devoid of anything appealing to teenagers was to build a bonfire, drink, and smoke weed. Gail, her mother, would talk about how much Heather cherished the attention from men. According to her, Heather always felt that everyone had the best of intentions as she watched men her age flirt with her daughter. They had a dating <clears throat> policy that she could start dating once she turned 16. She had a box with some gum she chewed when she kissed a boy and a list of their names that sort of proof for herself and just recollections. She gave her appearance a lot of thought on what teenagers wouldn't, in my opinion. To get it how, how she wants, she would pluck her eyebrows and wash her hair several times a day. She would force herself to throw up the summer before her 8th grade, grade year in an effort to manage her weight. Because she wanted to maintain a specific weight because the boys liked her body shape. Randy, Heather's ex-boyfriend, was from one of the town's poorest households. His mother did drugs, and he didn't know his father. He began using weed in third grade after finding some. He was a running back for his high school football team. People liked being around him because he was well-respected, well-spoken, and well-mannered. Before breaking up, the, they dated for five months. After hearing that Heather went skinny dipping at a co-ed pool party, their relationship gave Heather's family the impression that they were friends. Randy and Heather enjoyed spending hours talking. Randy claimed that despite spending a lot of time with Heather, it occasionally felt as though Heather was a stranger, saying, I knew her, but not like I wanted to, not like I should have. After the breakup and learning that someone she knew had committed suicide within the same week, Heather's behavior started to change. Then on October 2nd, 1996, Gail got into an argument with Heather because the phone bill was $300. They blamed Heather because she had been contacting and messaging her church friends, and her mother was upset because they couldn't afford to pay the bill. Her mother had to work 16 hours a day since, as I previously mentioned, her father was injured on the job. Heather wasn't in her room. When her mother tried to wake her up for school, the family went to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department and reported Heather as missing. Authorities didn't really take her seriously. They told her, eh, that's what teenagers do. She'll be back in a couple hours. A rancher and his seven-year-old granddaughter found what appeared to be a body in the Belknap Creek in Texas, several days after Heather was still missing. The rancher's granddaughter continued claiming that there was a body in the water, but he couldn't see because he wasn't wearing his glasses. When they returned home, the granddaughter against, again insisted that she had seen a dead body in the water. The body of Heather Rich was discovered when the rancher returned the next day to take a closer look. Heather was no longer recognizable after being shot in the back of the head with a shotgun. 
She was identified by her father due to the gold signet ring she received for her 16th birthday. Additionally, they were able to properly identify her through dental records. She had been shot nine times with an M9 Winchester shotgun. She was shot once in the back of the head, eight additional times in her butt, waist, and lower back. The shotgun wound's trajectory and the bloodstain patterns at the initial crime scene suggested that Heather was face down when she was shot. As soon as the murder investigation began, nobody would speak, because in a small town, everyone knows everyone. Because Heather was taken from Oklahoma to Texas against her will, the FBI was called in. The case, federal kidnapping charges were brought against the perpetrator or perpetrators. They learned that Josh Bagwell was Randy's best friend, and Heather had sneaked away to hang out with him, because she had a crush on him. As a result, this section of this story is told from Randy's perspective because it is the most accurate representation of what actually happened. They were near the home of Josh's grandfather in a trailer park with his friends Curtis Gamble and Randy Wood. Josh was already drinking. Josh and Heather requested some privacy soon after because it was their date night. When Randy and Curtis returned after leaving them alone for, an about, for about an hour, Josh was putting on his clothes and Heather was in the trailer naked with an empty bottle of gin. Heather was described as heavily intoxicated. Josh later claimed that he and Heather had consensual sex. Josh and Curtis kept changing their story and placing the blame on one another. The only changes in their story was when they were asked about who sexually assaulted and killed Heather. Randy would later say, Three guys, all drunk and one naked girl, they took advantage of her. Randy said he digitally penetrated her. I was absolutely heartbroken and disgusted when reading this. Curtis then went to the trailer with just Heather and engaged in unconsensual sex. The three boys kept drinking after the incident until they heard Heather scream two times before she passed out. When Heather woke up, Curtis feared that she would claim that they had raped her, which they did. Curtis was adamant that he was not a rapist. Curtis told Josh to get the pickup truck. Randy got Heather dressed and put her in the pickup truck. They drove to Belknap Creek Bridge, Heather still unconscious throughout. Randy also claims that Curtis fired the, non sh the nine shots that killed Heather. Investigators found that the buckshot rounds in the gun used to murder Heather were of a very specific brand that isn't available in all gun shops. Because there was only one store in the, in the area that sold this particular kind, police started talking to the store owner and discovered that Josh Bagwell had purchased 20 rounds a few days before the murder. In addition to saying that Josh was joined by another young man named Curtis, the store owner who sold him the rounds was able to identify him in a police lineup. The three boys were all arrested on October 24th, and I will now walk you through each person's account so we were not confused. We'll start with Curtis. He was interrogated for eight hours and agreed to take a polygraph test, which he failed. He agreed to have the investigators take the shotgun and the ballistic fingerprinting to determine whether or not that was the gun used. Once it came back that that was the gun used, Curtis claimed that on October 2nd, he was drinking with Randy and Josh in Josh's trailer. The night was typical. They were simply drinking. Heather later joined them, and after having consensual sex, she passed out. They dressed her and put her in the pickup truck because they were afraid that when she woke up, she would accuse them of rape. Curtis claimed Randy shot Heather nine times, once in the head, eight times in the back, and that her body was thrown into the nearby creek. And then he stopped talking. Josh invoked it, 
now for Josh's side. Josh invoked his right to the Fifth Amendment, refused to take a polygraph test, and his family then recruited a number of well-known attorneys to defend him when he refused to admit his involvement in Heather's death. And now for Randy's side. The only person who really cooperated was Randy. He gave investigators a written statement in which he admitted he was a participant in the murder. He claimed that Curtis had shot Heather and that Josh was a participant as well. Randy added that until they arrived at the bridge, he didn't think Curtis was going to kill her. Or kill Heather, excuse me. Additionally, he took a polygraph test, which he passed. In Oklahoma, all three were charged with kidnapping and denied bail. In Montague County, Texas, all three were accused of first-degree murder. And due to Texas law, all three would be tried as adults. And now for a little more on Curtis Gamble. Curtis was a high school dropout living with his grandmother, who frequently brought him fishing in the Belknap Creek when he was younger. Curtis was sent to juvenile for being an for bringing an unloaded gun to school. He then started using drugs. There was also rumors that he enjoyed shooting other people's livestock as a sport. He was once put in juvenile again for threatening to kill his teachers and reportedly escaped juvenile detention center. He was once sent to a psychiatric hospital. I'm not sure how Curtis and Josh met, but they enjoyed drinking, camping, fishing, and guns. As they investigated further, they learned that Curtis had this ultimate fantasy that he would kidnap a girl, rape her, and blow her head off. Curtis claimed he didn't know Heather. All he knew was that she sneaked out and went on a date with Josh. Josh got Heather intoxicated, had sex with her, saying, quote, When me and Randy got back, she was hammered. She was kissing on us. Me and Woody was going to get a piece, but she passed out. When she woke up, she was crying and screaming, then she passed out again. Josh started freaking out. Josh said he didn't want to go down for raping Heather. Randy, he claimed, was also concerned about the rape allegations. As a result, Randy put her in the pickup truck and headed to Belknap, Belknap Creek Bridge. And now for a little bit about Josh Bagwell. Josh's parents were the wealthiest landowners in the area, but he stayed with his grandmother because his parents worked so much. He was so wealthy, he owned six cars. Because of his wealth, he was seen as snobby and different from his friends. And now for a little bit about Randy Wood. Despite the fact that Randy and Heather split up, they remained close friends. They had, in it, they had an intimate relationship, but never had sex. A week after Heather's body was found, Randy was named Homecoming King. Many people believed that Heather would have unquestionably won the title of Homecoming Queen. On October 15, 1997, Curtis's trail began in Fort Worth, Texas. Or trial, excuse me. Yeah, trial. Curtis accepted the district attorney Tim Cole's plea deal, agreeing to plead guilty to Heather's murder and admitting that he was the one who physically took her life in exchange for the prosecution not to seek the death penalty. Curtis was found guilty and given a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 30 years. He also promised, as part of his plea deal, to testify against Josh at his trial. Speaking of that, let's dive into Josh's trial now. Josh's trial started in February 1998. He claimed he had nothing to do with any of it. He claimed that he had consensual sex with Heather in the trailer when she was drunk. Yeah, that don't make sense. 
Josh stated that he believed that they were just driving Heather around until she sobered up before taking her home. He claimed to be unaware of the murderous plot against her. Curtis was scheduled to testify against Josh at his trial, but he abruptly changed his account to the one he gave when he was originally arrested, claiming Josh had nothing to do with the killing and Randy was responsible. Randy was scheduled to testify as part of his plea deal, but he later decided against it. He just wanted to testify against them. Josh was in the trailer when the plan came along to shoot Heather, according to Randy's testimony. He threw her into the creek and weighed her body down with a rock. Josh then gave uh, testimony. The DA could tell it was staged from the way he spoke and repeated it several times. Josh said he was unaware of the plan to kill Heather and that Randy was the one to kill her. He was peeing near the bridge when he heard gunshots and ran back to see what had happened. In essence, he just admitted that it was Curtis who killed Heather. The jury found Josh guilty of both conspiracy to commit murder, for which he received 99 years in prison, and capital murder, which carries an automatic life sentence. Randy would stay in trial and was found guilty of capital murder and is currently serving a life sentence. He'll be eligible for parole in 2036 when he is 57 years old. The DA says he is proud of the victory and that many people feel bad for Randy because he was always cooperative, passed the polygraph, always told the truth, and it was very clear that he was regretful about how things turned out. The district attorney said, quote, I don't feel very good about Randy Wood being in prison for the rest of his life. I tried every way in the world to get him to plead guilty, but he would not take the plea. I'm sure there was some self-interest in his decision. He wanted people to know he didn't kill Heather. But I will forever believe it's because he has a conscience. The same way the DA feels about Randy is the same way Gail feels. Saying he has a bittersweet smile that you won't forget and he is redeemed in her eyes. A woman from New Zealand who married Randy in 2016 relocated to Texas to be closer to him and launched a campaign there. The statement is that people under the age of 18 cannot be tried as an adult. All three are in different prisons in Texas. Randy Wood is at the James V. Allery unit in Wichita Falls. Josh Badwell is incarcerated at the Barry Telford unit in New Boston. Curtis Gamble is currently incarcerated at the John Wynn unit in northern Huntsville. The story doesn't, however, end there. In order to stay in trial for conspiracy to commit murder, Curtis was transferred from the Texas State Prison to the Montague County Jail. He was found guilty and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. On January 28, 2002, Curtis and Josh, along with two other prisoners, escaped out of the Montague County Jail. They held a guard hostage with a handmade knife and forced the second guard on duty to unlock the outside gate. They went to Red River, stayed in a hunting cabinet, went unnoticed for more than a week, and stole a truck and a 22 caliber gun from Curtis's friend's dad. After hearing the escape, everyone loaded their weapons and stayed inside. However, nine days later, Curtis and Josh were apprehended by police after spending six hours negotiating with the FBI at a convenience store in Ardmore, Oklahoma. While being taken into custody, Curtis gave the officer a brazen smile and said, I'll be seeing you. Again, Josh's mother was arrested and pleaded guilty to conspiracy to assist in an escape and conspiracy to commit a felony with a firearm 
when it was discovered that she had slipped Curtis and Josh hacksaw blades and two Bibles. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison in 2002, but was deferred eight years. Randy has put a distance between himself from the boy he was that night. While Randy had a clean record, his co-defendants were classified as Texas's most ill-behaved inmates, even before the jailbreak. Randy now works on the prison garden crew, digging flower beds and pruning shrubs. After the murder, Gail and Dwayne got divorced because, in Gail's words, the anguish of recollection was too intense. Both left the community and the Belknap Creek Bridge behind. Dwayne passed away in 2014. Gail passed away in 2015. In 2022, Heather would have been 42 years old. Heather only wanted to spend time with her friends, and it was because of them that her life ended so abruptly. Me, personally, I think Randy is genuinely remorseful. I hate that he didn't do anything to stop Curtis from killing Heather. He admitted that he was afraid of Curtis, and that if, if he had intervened to save Heather, Curtis might have killed them both. It's a heartbreaking tale that hurt, since none of this should have happened. As always, let me know what your thoughts are on this story. Do you think Randy is remorseful? And do you think people who commit heinous crimes should be tried as adults for murder when they're under 18? Let us know in the comments section below, or as always, on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS, or on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. And as always, hit that thumbs up button if you like our videos, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, and be able to pay them. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, Buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleep.